Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hey, good morning and welcome to East Lake. My name is Brent. If you are a uh, first-time guest or a guest within the past two weeks, uh, then we, you've probably never met. I, I was, I've been out of uh, out of town the last couple of weeks. Uh, first week was uh, like a board retreat thing and with, for, for some of the leadership team here. And then last week was just me and my wife having fun in Seattle and uh, going to see Nate Brigazzi live uh, comedy thing. And uh, if uh, he's one of our favorite comedians and we've shown his clips multiple times. And if you're feeling feelings of envy and jealousy. You should. Those are appropriate feelings uh, at this season of, of the talk. Also, if I say anything funny today, I probably stole it from Nate, um, but uh, his new material isn't on Netflix yet, so you won't know it's stolen for like three months. So there's that. I also know that I missed uh, Pastor Appreciation Sunday last week. Uh, October is uh, supposed to be Pastor Appreciation Month, which who, who knows? Uh, it feels like every month is something, right? And so uh, last week we had some, some of you were kind enough to bring uh, like donuts and uh, all kinds of fun things for me. And then I wasn't even here for my own surprise party, which is very sad. And I was told today uh, in between services that there was one of those cash uh, tornado things that you go in the room and grab as much cash as you can. And I missed that. So I think they're lying to me, but I'll have to go back and check the videos to be sure about that. But uh, anyways, um, it's good to be back with you. It was a, a nice break, but we are kicking off a new series, uh, a new teaching series today called this beautiful life and that song that played uh, to kind of uh, to kick this thing off is a, a song that has been on my Spotify full full disclosure. My wife is in here this service, so I, I have to let you know that she found the song and then I stole it from her and then play it on my playlist. Uh, and it's one of those songs. I don't know if you do this as well, but you have been playing it on repeat so often that you're in the car with your significant other, and they look at you and say, "Again? Are we doing this again? We're just letting this thing on repeat." And uh, so that's been uh, that's been my thing. So it's been probably uh, two months that that song. No, maybe a month that that's been on a on a rotation for me. Um, and it uh, just makes you, you know, you listen to it and it's just the nostalgia and this beautiful life. And I don't know, maybe it was I drove home and saw some sunsets one day and I was like, this is just a really good song or whatever. And so I need to do a teaching series about this. So about a month ago, two months ago, I was looking ahead and planning for uh, what series we were going to do to lead us up to Christmas. We always do an Advent series near Christmas. So I knew December was covered, uh, but October and the first part of November, what are we going to talk about? And so I thought, well, let's do a series called This Beautiful Life. We just came out of a series that was kind of dark and depressing. And I had a lot of people coming to me and be like, Brent, I like you, but I don't want to leave church depressed. I want to leave church hopeful and happy. And so uh, I decided to kind of change things up and, um, you know, do one of those. This is going to be, or the, the plan was to have, for have this to be one of those series, a, a series on uh, like beauty or hope or love or butterflies or something like that. You know, I don't know what, what it was going to be, but this beautiful life was going to be the, the piece. And then unfortunately and, and tragically, uh, some uh, tragedy struck this week. And, and some of you are, are, are aware of this and some of you uh, may not be. So this might be uh, news uh, for you. But on Monday, so we came back from our trip on Sunday. And on Monday, I got a text message from somebody 
who attends here, who's a teacher, who said, I don't know if you saw the news yesterday, but there was a tragic accident uh, in our area, um, and uh, a mom and daughter passed away, and they went to Eastlake. And uh, anytime something tragic happens in our community, I'm my first step is usually looking through our planning, we, we call it planning center, but our behind the scenes, like, Thing that we check when you fill out a card, when you sign up for a group, when you sign up for something, your information gets downloaded here, and then we sell it to pharmaceutical companies and all of kinds of things, and then you get random emails. And so that's how this works. That's how we make our money. That's how we pay for the bills around here. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, and so I looked all of that information up in there, and there was no. When I saw the when I saw it happen, I hadn't seen a picture uh, of them, and I looked it up, and I didn't recognize the names, and I and I didn't see it in our planning center, and so uh, it's. Tragic, but it's not like something for me to act on. And then Joe sent me the text and he said, um, the family would like to reach out and see if you'd be willing to meet with them and, and do the services. And I was like, man, I looked, Joe, I looked in this, I looked in our system. It's not there. Are you sure it's Eastlake? Are you sure that's the, are you sure that's the church that, uh, that they were a part of? And again, hadn't seen any photos yet. And, uh, and he's like, yeah. And I said, just, if you could just check with the family, like crappy dolphin statues out front, pastor who talks too fast. That's the church that we're a part of, right? That's what we're talking about. And like, yeah. So anyways, uh, then the family came and met me on Tuesday. We did a walk through the space and in, and then following up and reading the details and the stories in the Facebook and all of the connections within the community, well-connected family in the community, well-loved, obviously, um, realizing and, and talking with them that this was going to be a massive funeral, the biggest event that we've ever hosted in our existence as a theater. And so had the conversation. I'm like, hey, um, I'm willing to, uh, well, first of I'm willing to like call other places to host this, um, to host this event. Like my dad's church is like a 1200 seat auditorium. Like I know the pastors at C3 or, or where Bethel or whatever, we can, we can get this into a bigger space to be able to accommodate all these people. And the comment uh, from uh, the husband and dad was, now this is where they loved it. This is where they felt most at home. We're doing it here. And so, <clears throat> oops, sorry, that's me. Um, uh, so then I'm like, geez, part of me was like, uh, thankful to be a part of a community where people feel at home, even though maybe maybe, uh, you know, maybe you didn't know them uh, and whatever. And we, we intentionally create this to be a place where anybody can feel like they can come and low bar of entry, low expectations. You can be anonymous, come and go as you please. And, um, you know, if you want to get further in, you can, but there's not like a ticking time bomb of make sure you get plugged in by such and such a date or else whatever. I don't know. Anyways. Um, and the dad said, no, yep, they were here Sunday. And, uh, so that was, that was the, uh, uh, that was a big, uh, painful deal to be able to kind of uh, walk through that. I've done some tough funerals over the years, but this one was definitely up there. And I thought to myself, uh, what am I going to say to this family and, and their friends on Friday as we filled every chair that we own? We pulled chairs from the basement and the wear love space and upstairs into this room and they packed that room and they packed the lobby and they packed the wear love space. And we simulcast to all of these different locations uh, this, this ceremony. What am I supposed to say to them on Friday them, the, and a message of hope, knowing that on Sunday, I'm supposed to start a series called This Beautiful Life, right? How, how can I speak out of both ends of my mouth preparing for uh, this, this on Friday and then also, and then flip a switch to weird things on Sunday? And some of you are like, I don't know, Brent, you're a professional, like figure it out, right? Um, but 
I, I knew I had to kind of change this, and I, and I knew that this series would take on a, a bit of a different shape and a different form to be able to do it. I want this series to be melancholy but hopeful, and that, that the idea of beauty from ashes, uh, that perhaps you're in a spot in life where you would say, you know, this probably isn't where I dreamed I would be in the Tri-Cities when I was 20, trying to get out of this place. And in uh, like a black hole, it sucked me back in or, you know, something or I don't know, just uh, on, on, a, on, on a second marriage or, or single or, um, you know, kids or no kids maybe or, or jobs that have been, you know, fluctuating, all this kind of stuff. And you, you go, you sit here and you hear me, somebody like me stand up and be like, we're going to talk about this beautiful life. And there's part of you, there's like a hesitancy in, in, in some crevice of your heart that you'd be like, yeah, but, Right. Uh, nice for you, nice for some. I'm sure that, you know, churchy people won't want to talk about this all the time and again, feel good about themselves. And if you're not in that spot in life, I, I do genuinely hope that, that you get there. I hope that, a, that um, when a song like that plays or when a thought like this comes of, you know, this actually genuinely is a beautiful gift that is life, um, that, uh, that you do eventually get there. I, but I do, I want to make space for seasons of life where it's hard to sing that song. It's hard to listen to that song. It's hard to attend a church with this slide or these stories or these things. And uh, maybe this series will help, maybe it won't, I don't know. Uh, but I want, in my mind, in my, my vision of what it could be and should be is um, kind of w- what I wanna call like a sunset series for me. Cause I don't know about you, but uh, one of the best parts about living in the Tri-Cities is the incredible sunsets that we get like just all the time. Like we're so used to it, guys. You have no idea. We just drive home. And I want to be so sensitive to how how beautiful it is because I'll drive home and be like, look at that. That's amazing. And then, you know, all my Seattle friends, they post like, they get like three sunsets a year and they post them and they're like, wow, God's really working his magic today. And I'd be like, I get that every day, guys. You guys can keep it over there. Anyways, uh, and, but in those moments, it's, it's for me a very, very tangible time where in our family, we'll be like, hey, 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 like stop what you're doing. Come over to the window. Look at this. Like put down your phones for a second. Get off your screens. Stop what you're doing. Or the other night we were driving somewhere and it's like, dad, dad, pull over. I want to take a picture. Like enough to pull over. And I did. I pulled over to take a photo. Like that's powerful, that something can be so beautiful that you have to pause to take it all in. And there's something, there's a resonance about that kind of a thing. There's, a, there's, some, there's something so beautiful that it literally shapes how you begin to think and how you begin to feel. It shapes the outlook. I take that outlook and I take it into something else. I, I, as I'm going to work, it changes then how I do work that day or uh, whatever. And so... My hope is I think that this, that that's going to be a part of this series, that that's the direction that I want to go. And I, I hope, I think this is one way in which I can talk both to a Friday audience and a uh, Sunday audience. So this is a series on the imaginative or a series on resonance. I had a title of work of, of beauty for a bit, a series on beauty, but um, I went away from that as we'll see in just a second. But 
um, this idea of the imaginative, that there's something about life that calls us to the imaginative because uh, our, our, and our brains kind of work in, in, in one way, uh, in two ways, sorry. Uh, one is towards the idea of reason and the other toward, is towards the way of imaginative. And the way of reason, things work out logically for us. Uh, and, and you go to work at a certain time, you show up at a certain time in a certain dress code and a certain apparel, there are certain expectations, uh, job expectations that you have. It's all run by logic and reason and you check boxes when you're there and you get things off the list or you meet with the people or you do the things uh, and then you check off and then you go home. It's all very dominated oftentimes by reason and not the imaginative. You have to go on vacation for the imaginative. When you go on vacation, then all you want to do is anything that's not scheduled. If, you, if your life is fully scheduled out, you're like, I need freedom. I go to this or I go to a concert. I go to a music festival and it's all imaginative because it's very loose and it's very this and it's very artsy and it's very whatever, right? And so for many of us, our lives are dominated by the reason and we lack in the area of imaginative. Now, I say all that, but you have friends who live in the imaginative and could use a little bit more reason in their life too, don't you? And they're the ones you're like, I gotta give them some money to, sometimes to get some through some tough spots because they can't keep a job because they're like, I gotta go to this festival, I gotta go do this. And you're like, just... Just a bit more reason would be a little bit helpful with that. Uh, but but uh, a lot of times our lives are kind of like found in this balance between these two areas. And so this is gonna be a series pulling us away from not, not uh, walking away from reason, as, as I think I'm gonna be careful to point out, but understanding the role of the imaginative in this. That um, Disneyland, if you go there, or Disney World, or whatever your take is on anything like that, is full of the imaginative, but there's also a very logical underpinning in between how they line things up. Like, it's it's really smart. They're really good at this kind of stuff. They're a great fancy balance between uh, the reason-dominated thing and the imaginative. So this is going to be a series towards the imaginative for us. And the impetus of this series was sparked by a reading, uh, rereading of some C.S. Lewis material. Uh, he's an author who was uh, kind of prominent during like the 40s, 50s, 60s in, in Europe. Um, he was Irish-born, but did most of his work in Oxford and Magdalen College. Uh, he wrote, he's famous mostly for the Chronicles and Arnie series. Perhaps you grew up watching those or, or reading those or kind of like a sci-fi. He did a sci-fi trilogy as well. He was a contemporary of Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings. So that's sort of like the world that he kind of existed in, this they were part of a group called the Inklings. They would read each other each other's stories and shape the stories as they were before they went out into the world. And so um, it's uh, interesting to see the influence of Lewis on the world of Middle Earth and the influence of Tolkien on the world of Narnia uh, and whatever. But the beauty that I love about Lewis is when I read him and I try and go back to Lewis every six to nine months. Just for me, it's like going to a chiropractor and just getting realigned a little bit. Like I gotta like, I gotta dive back in because he was a master, or I think so, a master at the imaginative and the reason. Like he's incredibly logical uh, and yet he's also deeply imaginative in this way, more so than most authors that I read. And, and so it, it's beautiful in that way. Um, and even in the Narnia series, you see this, right? You see the setting of, uh, of a, a world at war in which the kids have to go live with an uncle. So it's like dealing with the realities of existence. And yet they enter this into this imaginative world through a wardrobe where they meet a fawn who carries an umbrella who introduces them to a white witch. Like it's very, um, it's, 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 a, it's a good complimentary thing between these two or healthy balance between this. He wrote a, a book called The Weight of Glory, which is actually a sermon that he delivered and then kind of expanded upon and published it as a book. Uh, and it's gonna be like a reading companion for me during this series. If you wanna read it, you can, but I'm gonna go through it enough. You probably don't need to, but you should. Um, 
And over and over and over again, he's going to say in this book, and it's going to come up less explicit, more implicit in his novelistic writing, but more explicit, and I don't mean R-rated, I just mean intentional, uh, in The Weight of Glory, in talking about this yearning for a far-off country, that there exists in all of us a yearning for a far-off country, a world that does not actually exist, but we so badly want it to exist. We read the J.K. Rowling Harry Potter books, and then we want to go to Harry Potter land and immerse ourselves in Diagon Alley or uh, Hogsmeade or whatever and feel what it's like to grow up in Harry's world, right? We yearn for that kind of thing sometimes to be true. A far, this idea of yearning is uh, more explicitly a th- theology of desire uh, that, we, that we have, like looking at desire looking at what things in life we want to be true and what does that say about us? Why do we want something to be true? Why do we say, I wish it were this way or I I want it to be this or we have these hopes and wishes and dreams and desires that that this would all have a purpose and have a reason and why why do you want things to have a reason? Why do you, when you say everything happens for a reason, what do you think that you mean when you say that? Or do you just, is it just a cliche that you're rolling off your tongue? Do you actually believe any of that? So in this theology of desire, in this weight of glory piece, he's gonna write a a couple of things. He's gonna go through, we're gonna go through a long passage together. I'm gonna kind of go through it line by line uh, to try and um, help us make sense of this because there's context for the whole book that obviously you haven't read. So I'm gonna try and help you. Not that you can't understand this, you can, but um, hopefully it's helpful for you as we talk about this yearning for a far off country. Here's what he says. In speaking of this desire for our own far off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I am almost committing in an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence, meaning there are some things that you want And then people say, well, what do you want about them? And you go, it's just silly. That's just me being nostalgic. That's just me being, I'm grown up now. Like I don't have to think through those things. I don't have to want those things. I know, this is what you say. I know that's not how the world actually works. I'm I'm comfortable with reality not being and playing out like it should. That life's not fair, but why do you want it to be fair? I don't want it to be fair. Life's just random. I know that. We, we reason out. We reason it away from the imaginative. We have the imaginative where we say life shouldn't have played out like this. And yet the, the process and the lens by which we work it through is the process of reason saying, but that's not how life works. I know that this is all just random. There's no point to it. Why is it that you want life to have a point? What is that saying about you? Let's, let's set aside whether it's true or not. Let's set aside even for a moment the idea of a God who exists out there. Perhaps you're like, I, 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 I don't even know about the God thing. Yes, but why do you want that to be true? Julian Barnes uh, is one of my favorite authors. He's an atheist, but he, and he writes in this book called Nothing to Be uh, Frightened Of. He goes, I don't believe in God, but I sure do miss him. This idea of God. He's got to this part where I don't believe it, but man, there's something in me that wants it to be true but my reason won't allow me to get there. Okay, Lewis would create space for that and be like, that's fine, you can believe that, but let's talk about why that longing is there. Why is that there? And why, when I bring it up, 
are we so apt and so quick to say, that's just silly nonsense. That's just nostalgia. That's romanticism. That's adolescence. I promise I won't take as much time per line. That's just kind of setting the tone for where we're at. All right. The secret which also pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent. Meaning as soon as I talk about it, imminence is I cannot avoid it. It's right in front of me. I can't, I see it, I feel it. I can't not talk about it. I can't not act as if it's real. It's right there. We grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. We laugh things off. <clears throat> we use humor to deflect the seriousness of a moment. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. <coughs> Excuse me. We want things to be resonant. We want things to be beautiful, maybe even transcendent. We want things to be this beautiful life, but why waste our time anymore? Maybe when we were younger, those things could be true, but not, not now. We cannot tell. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually happened in our experience. We cannot hide it because in our experience is constantly suggesting it, and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. We've never seen it. We, we, we go, I, I want... I want the idea of God to be true. I want the idea of life having a point to be true, but my entire experience has been that life is random. I want to believe that what I do on this life matters, but everything that I've seen suggests that it doesn't, but I still can't kick the desire to want it to be true. What is that? And we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. And then we just like, uh, I don't know what that is. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to focus on it. And he's like, no, no, no. Lewis does not allow us the space to say it's not a big deal. Let's talk about something else. He says, no, this is important. What is that? Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that had settled the matter. And that line right there is why I did not call this a series on beauty because that was my intention. And then I read this and I'm like, see, I just did, I did the same thing that he just talked about. If I call it beauty and we say something's beautiful and that just means something to me, that's kind of like this ambiguous term that if somebody was to go, well, what do you mean? You'd be like, I don't know, let's just move on. When you, when you read something, when you listen to something, you'd be like, that just meant something to me. If somebody has the audacity to say, well, talk, let's talk about it. What do you mean? You'd be like, <laughs> I just liked it. Can I just leave it at that? And I just move on? I don't want to dive into what it actually means to me. I just want to label it as such and then move on to the next thing. We often identify it with certain moments in our past but all of this is a cheat. If we were to go back to those memories in the past, we would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What we remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. We think about a time when we were truly happy, when something, when life truly did feel most beautiful. We went to some place, we went to some concert, we went to some vacation, we thought there, then, that's when I felt most in touch with myself. That's when I truly felt, that was the last time that I felt that life was truly beautiful. And if I could get back there. So you book the vacation, you take the flight, you go back to that beach and you're like, yeah, a little rockier than I remember. A little hotter. It's kind of damp, kind of a lot more people now. It feels far more commercialized. We have these rose-colored glasses that we look on in life and think that's when I was most happy, when I was with that person or did that thing or whatever. And if we were to ever to go back, and this is what Lewis would say, you would find it wasn't as great as you thought. It was never that thing. It was what that thing evoked in you that was so powerful. And that's the point. Don't try and go recreate the thing. Think through and process through what was it that it was evoking in you. 
what does this imaginative sort of beauty feel like and look like and live like? Then he goes on. The books, the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them, meaning they're the objects, they're the thing that brought me beauty. That book, when you set it down and you're like, I, this was so, I wish there were seven more chapters. I wish there was a sequel. I wish there was something that keeps going. It's fine. It's a gateway to something though. It was something about what that taught you that you wanted it to be true in your own world. There's a reason that when the, like if I was to say, like you have some nostalgic sort of memories towards the TV show Friends. If I was to play the Rembrandts, uh, I'll be there for you. You'd be like, oh man, I love that show. And then why did you love that show? Ah, uh, because it was, I was in college. I was doing the thing. I was, I was, I, I had friends that we lived around. Like for you, it was that type of community. The way that they lived and knew each other and knew their lives and dated each other and then dated, you know, anyways, all the kind of drama that goes involved in, in, in all of that. There's something about that vision of the good life, that it was incorporated with humor and they, they had tons of time in New York City and apparently rent was cheap and I don't, not cheap enough, or I don't know, but all this kind of stuff, there's something about that. And then you go back and you rewatch it and be like, it's good, it's still funny, it holds up pretty well, but like, I don't know, it's different. The Office, remember when The Office first came out? There was something about that. We all had started probably, we've all, we had all worked in really crappy jobs before. And all of a sudden there was this like mockumentary on The Office workplace with humor of, of different characters that were like, I work with a Dwight. I know that Dwight is Carl in accounting. I know who that is. You, you look at that and you're like, I, I see that. There's a truth about it that you liked. And now if you go back, one, if you go back and rewatch them on Netflix or Peacock or wherever you find them now, uh, you, you back, go back and you think to yourself, one, these could never be made nowadays. They would never fly. Two, you go, it's funny. There's parts of it that definitely are funny and hold up, but maybe it's, there's something about it. It, it captured the zeitgeist of our age in a way that was powerful in that moment. And it's still good, but it may not carry the same weight. If it came out today, who knows if it would be as powerful. In that season though, it was for you. Well, what is it about that? What is that calling you towards? That's the powerful thing. It's not the object in itself. It's what it evoked out of you. If we trust to them, it was, it's not in them. It only came through them. These objects of beauty are pathways towards something here that's, that, that they create or they uh, uh, open, up, open us up to that unconsolable longing. That's the thing that I want that I don't have. <clears throat> to the books or the music, and, uh, sorry, it only came through them. It was not in them. It only came through them and what came through was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they'll turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of the worshipers for they are not the thing of itself. And this is where he closes and this is, I think, the best part. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we've never visited. This is him saying, you're gonna go through life, you're gonna experience a lot of beauty, you're gonna get, your heart is gonna get drawn to a lot of things. You're not gonna be able to put words to all of it, but it's gonna create something inside of you that is a longing for something like this to be true. That this goodness exists in bits and pieces, but I want it to be true in 
full form. I want this to be characteristic. This is, this is a world in which it seems like people treat each other kindly because they genuinely like each other. And I want that to be true for my world. And then we go around and we realize life doesn't work like that and the world isn't like that. But that doesn't mean that that's not, that that's not worthy of us wanting to realize that. And it's perhaps, for Lewis would say, that thing that's inside of you is a gospel nagging that there's something about that that is going to be true or could be true. Or why is that the thing that we want so desperately to have? It's a beautiful combination of yearning and incompleteness a tragic history of us trying to achieve that and feel that again and finding that incomplete and not letting that defeat us and saying life is pointless and whatever anyways, but letting that spur us on towards, but what if it were true? What if that could be realized? What if there's something that I'm missing? What if there's something more to that? You see the Israel and the nation of Israel deal with this in, in the Bible in a, in a very, very interesting way. Um, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, like the back like first three quarters of your Bible is what's called the Jewish scriptures or the Tanakh or the Old Testament is what Christians typically call it. Genesis uh, all the way up through Malachi. It's a history of the nation of Israel, how they came out of Egypt, like beginnings or stories, um, stories of origin, the book of Genesis. But then real quickly into the Exodus, they find themselves as slaves in Egypt, exodusing out of Egypt and into the promised land. Then stories of Israel kind of expanding into the promised land, taking over some things, uh, eventually being uh, attacked in the north, splitting, splitting the two kingdoms in place, attacked in the north by the Syrians, in the east by the Babylonians, and then making their way eastward and in exodus into uh, Babylon and then finding themselves wishing for another exodus out of exile and back into Jerusalem. We came from somewhere. Now we find ourselves trapped uh, in exile. Who were we? Where did we come from? What is, who is the God that is supposedly our God? And then what do we need to do to get back into our land? That's essentially the Old Testament in a nutshell. Uh, and so in that story, we see uh, Moses being brought up and um, leading the Israelites out of uh, Egypt and uh, in through kind of the wandering in the wilderness. And God shows up in a, uh, the God of the universe or Yahweh God for them shows up in a tangible way through a pillar of fire by night to guide them or a cloud by day. And immediately what they want to do is we must build this thing, this being, this God that is our God, a tabernacle, a, a house of sorts that's not going to do justice to who he is, but it's going to set aside something for them. So they build this tabernacle and every time that they move camp, they set it up and they tear it down, set it up and tear it down. It's got specific arrangements. In fact, if you read parts of the Old Testament, there's like very specific, specific instructions of how it's to be built. Why? Because they cared about this and they wanted it to be uh, good. Uh, to reflect in the honor and the uh, awe and reverence and respect for their God. Then they finally make their way to Israel. They know they're going to be here for a long time. This is the promised land. This is where God has led them. David has this idea, I'm going to build this great temple. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to have everything. People from around the world are going to come and they're going to have an honor and respect for our God because of the size and the magnitude and the sheer reverence and whatever awe-inspiring nature of this building that we built for them. And yet God says in uh, the Samuel books or King's books, you're not going to be the one that's going to build it. Your hands are too, there's too much blood on your hands. You've been a warrior. I don't want that to be characteristic of what people know me as, as a warrior God. Uh, your son is going to build it, who's never killed a person in his life. That's the, your son Solomon's going to build the temple. So Solomon's temple gets built and it's big and it's huge. And then it's destroyed uh, in, in 586 BC at, at the hands of these, uh, the Babylonians as they're taken into Babylon. And then then what happens is we have them in Babylon trying to make sense of 
why would God waste his time doing all of that work, taking us out of Egypt, allowing us to build this massive, beautiful house in his name, and then allowing these other people, foreigners, who worship these pagan gods to destroy our thing, and then we find ourselves over here. What, do we, what, what happened? This is, this, is why, this is why we have Jewish scriptures. This is why we have the Old Testament. Who are we? What happened? And what do we gotta do to make it right? And for them, it was like, we gotta follow all the rules. That's the problem. We, we, God gave us rules. We forgot to follow them, and then we're over here. And if we can just get our act together, God will once again free us from Babylon. We will re-enter into Jerusalem and be the nation of Israel once more. So that's how this, this thing goes. And what's interesting about the history of this story of this temple being built is it shows up in First and Second Kings as kind of that's part of the process, and it is uh, it's it's a like step by step approach, and David decides that he's going to do this, and God says no. But then, fast forward a few books. There's a book, uh, two books called Chronicles, the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. And if you've ever if you've ever tried to read through the Old Testament, you realize this is the same thing that was just said over here. So you just spent hours and hours reading this over here. And like, am I, is this a deja vu moment? I feel like this already happened. Or are they like so bored that they had to write the same thing twice? It's the, it's the same, like sometimes in some chapters, word for word, the exact same thing. Somebody just stole it over here. Now, what you need to know is when the Old Testament was put together as a, as a collection of books, uh, somebody known as the Chronicler, we don't have a name, decided to kind of write a version of the story of Israel as the last book for them. This is for them how their Old Testament scripture ends, is the Chronicles. For us, it ends in Malachi with prophets, but for them, it's different. It was Chronicles. And in their version of that story, a different picture of Israel and a different picture of David is painted. In the picture of, uh, uh, in, uh, in, for one of the examples is, David has an affair with somebody else's wife and it's really bad and it goes south and he ends up murdering the husband of the, uh, of the wife and it's, it's super dark and it's like, a, it's like a, a soap opera, guys. You need to read your Bibles more because it's, it's, it's crazy and it's not great. If you thought the Bible was like super G-rated, this is not G-rated. Like your kids should not be hearing about this until a certain age and then fine, whatever. But uh, then, uh, so, so that kind of story goes down and David is painted as not a great guy in the king scenario of this. And yet over in Chronicles, it's like swept under the rug. They're trying to uh, paint a better picture of who David was. And so they mention it, but sort of in passing, like it was just a little problem, little thing, one bad decision, one bad day, who hasn't had bad days? And we, it moves on towards this thing. It's the same way that you can watch the news be presented on one channel and one other channel and then be like, this was, this happened, this is atrocious. And then being like, well, there's kind of a couple reasons for it. So, you know, depending on, you know, Fox News, CNN, whatever kind of way you land on, you're always, we're always pointing the finger being like, news is biased, is it not, right? That's the, that's, listen, and scripture's biased. This, this scripture specifically is very, very biased. So I wanna read to you what the chronicler wrote about the day that David decided to put shovel in the ground. He didn't end up building the temple, but he was a part of like setting it all up and preparing everything for it. And so basically this was their like, not ribbon cutting ceremony, because that's like the end of it when it's done. This is the shovel in the ground. We're getting started with this sort of thing. This is the, the ceremony. This is David talking or more, probabilistically, this is the author of the Chronicles putting into the mouth of David what he wanted David to say about this. That's important. But who am I and who are my people 
that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything, can, everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from our hand. This is, feels very like super gen- generous to the character of David, right? We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. This is them. This is him trying to say like, this isn't a big deal. This, this temple would be great, but in, in, in reality, we're not, we are all foreigners and strangers. We are sure selected by God, people of God, whatever, but it just doesn't mean as much. He's, he's downplaying the impact and the weight that the nation of Israel had in that temple. Why? Because now it's gone and you don't want your hopes to be built on something that's now it's gone. You want it to be something different. They're changing the story. They're working away from the imaginative into something else. He's trying to make sense of something the way that sometimes you've made sense of your life. When somebody asks you about your past and you went through a really tragic time and then later on you tell this version of the story where it's like, eh, it was no big deal. It was like something. It was like I had this like weird thing where I got married and I, went, I moved somewhere and, and you know, I'm back now and it was a, it was a, a dumb, youthful thing, but uh, now I know what I'm doing, right? And uh, now, I'm, now I'm operating at a different level. And you're like, no, that's not really plain to who you are. And, and that really does miss the point of kind of the role of the imaginative in some of this. And, and Lewis would say, don't look past that. Don't skip over this just to make yourself look good. Lean into that imaginative. What was it about that? He would say to Israel, I know it didn't work out for you. I know your temple got burned down and you find yourself in exile anyways. But there was something about that period when you were building that, that meant something to you. What was that? What is that imaginative thing? What lied beyond your desires there? For Lewis, the beyondness represents something objective, not something simply subjective because we've fallen prey to this now, right? In our commercials now, when we watch things that... that advertisers are selling us, they're saying, your joy can be complete if you choose to just purchase this, right? And that, that's a very objective thing, but they'll sell it and they know that that's a cheap way to do it and they know that that's done. So what they'll do is they'll play on the subjective and they'll say, you know, life's a journey, man, like a Subaru commercial, enjoy the journey, right? It's not the destination, it's the, it's the journey and how you get there, but objectively buy a Subaru to get there. You know what I mean? That's what they want in this way. And Lewis would say, oh, that's fine. And and you can go through life and you can make sense of this. But our yearning is part of the evidence that something actually exists there. And another version, uh, or not another version, another book that he wrote, probably my favorite one. He writes this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Why is it that every funeral I've ever done, whether somebody is religious or not, stands up on a stage to share with their family members that I know I'm gonna see them someday. I know they're in a better place. It's funny because you can be irreligious or you know, life is just random, it's nothing. And then in the deepest and darkest moments when you want something so badly to be true, you can find words coming out your mouth that you're like, I don't even know if I genuinely believe those. And Lewis would say, pay attention to that. What is it, what is that yearning inside of you that you so badly want that to be true? Even if later on you go, that was just a silly, it was just an emotional, it was a tough time. Was, I said something to get through, I just, I cope, I do whatever. Ah, uh, yes, religion, the crutch of life to kind of spice things up for a dull and a, a meaningless existence. And this would say, maybe, but maybe that thing that you can't shake that you want so desperately there means something. And not subjective, oh yeah, 
it's the journey that counts or whatever. He goes, I th- he would lean into the, yeah, but I think that there's something objective behind that. Maybe that means that there is a world, uh, uh, an explanation that we were made for another world. So how do we make sense of this? Those beautiful life moments point us towards something, something elusive, something beyond, something that's true joy. They're not a waste of our time, but if we spend efforts trying to recreate it, we'll never find it. And then we listen to songs like Bono on YouTube singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you'd be like, that's exactly it, man. That's the word of a generation. That's the song of us. That's the song of, of, of what we're exactly talking about. So what do we do with this? And I'm closing with this. Of any good thing, any objective desire in this world, Lewis asks us to say this. When we find that book, when we leave that concert, when we, when we have those moments where we, we, are, we are thinking and we, we, we hear the words, this beautiful life, and be like, it is, man, this is, this is why, this is why life is worth living. We would say then this, this is a good thing, but it cannot be the whole of what I'm looking for. Nevertheless, it may be a pointer. It may be a clue. It may be even a window through which I may glimpse and so regain my bearings on that far off country. I may not know you, but my guess is that you have a yearning. Like I have a yearning every once in a while. Sometimes we live in such a reason dominated world. It's sick. It's the cracks are so hard. It's so hard to get through. But every once in a while, something pierces us inside and we think, man, I want that so badly to be true. Lewis would say, what is that? What is that in you? Don't avoid it. Don't laugh it off. Don't treat it as nostalgic, romantic, adolescent. It means something to you. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this series, if you'll join me for that. There's a couple of questions that I put together. If you are in community with people who are here watching this with you or are interested in kind of dialoguing with this beyond what we do on Sunday mornings, um, I would love for you to kind of go to coffee, go to lunch, go to do something and say, don't just sit there and go, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. And then, uh, or that was terrible. You can say that too. It it doesn't matter to me. It's not gonna hurt my feelings. Um, But it's something to kind of go, yes, but in my life, what does this mean, right? So a couple of questions to continue the conversation. Number one, just a simple, what am I finding beautiful in my current season? What does this beautiful life look like for me? What is it that you're reading, that you're watching? When have the moments, when have been the sunset moments for you? When have you looked back and been like, that's when I feel, and how how long has it been since that's been a feeling for you? Number two, in what arena of my life and to what kind of an audience am I encouraged to put to words uh, into that yearning for a far off country? There are arenas in life in which it is appropriate to talk about these things. There are appropriate other things where it's not, right? Uh, when you begin to talk about, man, I just want to talk tell you about what my heart found beautiful this week. And they're like, I, I ordered my coffee and I have to be to work in five minutes. I'm so sorry. Can you just give me my coffee and go? That's not the right arena, right? So there's going to be perfectly good arenas and perfectly not good arenas to be able to make this, out, make this happen. So what is it for you? Who are the people? Who are the people worth hearing uh, that this is, there's something there and I can't quite put words to it, but it's pushing me to think of something more. And then lastly, where's my current weekly rhythm and schedule allow for moments of resonance or transcendence or the imaginative? Where right now do I, am I creating time within my space to find to pull myself out of the, of, of the reason-dominated stuff to kind of to focus on the imaginative? Where do I need a mental vacation or maybe a literal vacation? I don't know. But where is that happening for you? Those are your next steps. Next week, we continue this conversation, but let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would help us 
to allow these truths. Thank you for the, the, the writing uh, of Lewis in this. Thanks for the attention drawn to this. Thank you for a picture of how it transpired in the, the historical community of, of Israel uh, that we get to read upon. May we be the type of people who uh, don't just blow past this, but yearn to make sense of it and are willing to spend the time and the attention it deserves. Give us the wisdom to know what this looks like in our life, the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.